Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. All right, hot on the heels of his most successful solo tour ever, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Steve Hackett announced his Steve Hackett Genesis Revisited Foxtrot at 50 and Hackett Highlights Tour coming to Chicago on Thursday, November 2nd at the Copernicus Center. The tour marks the 50th anniversary of the legendary Genesis album Foxtrot, which in 1972 was pivotal in establishing the band as a major force in British rock. Guitarist Steve Hackett joined Genesis in 1971 along with Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, Mike Rutherford, among others. And to talk about the tour, Genesis, and his rock and roll journey, Steve Hackett. Hey there, Steve. Hi there. How you doing? I nice am. Oh, I'm great. I'm thrilled to talk to you as well. What an amazing long journey for you. Yeah, I mean, it started way before Genesis, to be honest. You know, I was involved with music making ever since I was two years old. I was dead serious about it. Um, so... I was born back in 1950, halfway through the last century, and um, most of the Genesis guys were about about my age, so I think we came up through similar post-war mm-hmm. conditions, and um, we were very. I think it was a very lucky time. The 1960s was a hugely creative time for musicians, with the end of conscription, followed by suddenly the arrival of bands such as the Beatles and the Stones and um, and many others and of course up to then we'd been listening almost exclusively to American acts and then suddenly we had some British ones that were due to become internationally uh, legendary. It was a great time and I, I was after um, as my uh, attentions moved from harmonica 10 years of harmonica and then I moved on to guitar um, uh, because my dad was able to play a number of instruments, he, he was able to, you know, demonstrate what each of them can do. Even though he wasn't a professional, he was a very gifted amateur, and um, so that was a, an early musical influence. I think m- most bands um, uh, from mid '60s onwards were pretty much blues-based within yeah. within the UK. Most bands that, that were player-based. And then there was a kind of transition to this fusion of Baroque and blues that, that became progressive music. Um, so uh, you could be listening to Segovia one minute and Jimi Hendrix the next, and then suddenly it didn't have to be a guilty pleasure listening to classical stuff. There was, or there were bands that were starting to incorporate um, classical changes and, and syncopation. So you had the best of of both both worlds and um, a mixture of the, of the instinctive and the schooled players, which is basically what Genesis was. Well, you mentioned Jimi Hendrix, but I know a lot of your influences yes. was your own father. You know, you played the harmonica and, and other instruments, yep. as you mentioned, but also Jethro Tull, King Crimson, yes. All were big influences on you, but big influences on Genesis and all the guys there, too. Yes, I think that, and also the work of, of Jimmy Webb, you know, who I think we considered to be the greatest um, uh, American writer of songs. So uh, Genesis was really a songwriter's collective, and I, I was I was after joining a, a team of writers, which is what Genesis was. So I think they were the best writers around, 
at the time. So I was very, very lucky to to join them and, and, and try and put some fire into into what they did, so I could use some of some of that blues influence. Um, uh, but you take it off into uh, directions that perhaps had uh, not just spirit, but also form as well. And, and, and uh, that's where writing comes in. So luckily, of course, we had we had um, our older brothers in music, um, the Beatles. Uh, John Lennon, funnily enough, described Genesis as true sons of the Beatles. So maybe you should say our forefathers mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, sure. in that way. Um, so I, I'm very, try, very proud of, of everything that Genesis did, but also beyond that, you know, before that and 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 and, and, and beyond that was um, where I was headed. So uh, these days I've tended to do a show that's a mixture of, of solo stuff and then in the second half of the show we give them pure genesis and, um, and that's what's... Um, it's been creating waves doing that, you know, with, with Genesis um, officially hanging up their spurs and saying there's no more. I just think, well, actually, it all depends, you know, what you do with that material. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I performed it with orchestra, sometimes re-recorded uh, with orchestra. Um, there have been lots of people involved in this, lots of people from like-minded bands, and you mentioned a few of them. So I've worked extensively with guys from Yes and King Crimson, most notably. Uh, um, so you get that sort of mixture of of Genesis and Yes that you know we've had that with. Uh, I worked with Steve Howe. We had a band called GTR mm-hmm. in the mid 1980s. Um, we had a hit from that, which was When the Heart Rolls the Mind, which um, took off big time over, over here. And um, so for a couple of years, he and I were working working together. Um, and then many years later, I, I was working with Chris Squire. We did an album together called Squack It. So again, there was that sort of fusion of of um, the two bands and uh, different writing styles. But you know, the, the similarities uh, outweighed the differences between between uh, that band and and ours. Perhaps Genesis was more um, concerned with songwriting form. I suspect that was yeah. the main the main difference. Whereas um, uh, Yes tended to um, uh, stress or favour the playing. Mm-hmm. But then, as a guitarist, of course, you know that suited me fine. So uh, you grew up near London's King's Road in the 1960s, which was a perfect yes. place for a young musician. And the music scene was really evolving over those next ten years when. Peter Gabriel brought you into Genesis, but yep. you really helped, you know, your style really helped share the sound of Genesis and help evolve it over time, didn't it? Um, well, I like to think that, you know, um, I think I was brought in as a kind of, um, if, if I said a hitman, that wouldn't really be it. I think, you know, to fire off a few salvos over, over yeah. what was basically, um, I mean, hugely interesting work that they were doing, but they were almost folk rock at the point when I when I first saw them, and I thought, well, perhaps I could lend a harder edge. And Phil Collins had just joined three months before me, and I think he was of a similar mind. Um, so I think once we were all working together as a team, we took the summer off and we did an album called uh, uh, Nursery Crime. So we weren't doing any shows for a while. Um, luckily, uh, uh, a record company that were managing us at the time, uh, Charisma, 
um, had sufficient vision to say, yeah, these guys need to develop their skills as a, as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful to Tony Stratton-Smith, who was the visionary owner of um, of Charisma Records. He, he was uh, um, an extraordinary patron of the arts, really. Um, very, very clever guy. He invested in films. He invested in, in musicians, um, a gregarious character. Um, yeah, I, I think that he was fundamental to the band's development and, and in mine. But you made some really significant contributions to the sound, as we talked about, like six classic Genesis albums. You mentioned a nursery crime through 1976's Wind and Wuthering and one EP 1977's Spot the Pigeon. But with, like many bands, there was competition in performing and writing. And it's not unusual in a band to do that. But that also isn't a lot of fun when that competition becomes the focus, right? Well, yes, I think that uh, uh, Genesis, at its most cooperative, was absolutely mighty. Of course, the the competitive edge uh, sometimes meant that that, uh, you you had friction uh, within the band. So Peter Gabriel, who was our our lead singer, left over over, uh, um, not so much musical differences. I think that was it was always possible to work together, but I think that he felt that he needed to work outside the band as well as have a career within the band. And I, I had the same thing. I'd done one album outside the auspices of the, of the band, and uh, I think it surprised everybody that it was it was a big hit. And um, it, it, it makes things more difficult when you go back to being a member of the crew after you've been captain of your own ship. So no mu- musical differences, really, just in terms of policy. So... Um, I, I basically, uh, I was given an ultimatum. Either I didn't do any work outside the band and stayed with it, um, or, you know, or I was going to have to go solo, which is what I decided to do. I thought basically my allegiance has to be the music itself, even though Genesis is probably the greatest band around, um, if my efforts are going to be curtailed to that degree, I I couldn't limit myself. So I was straight away to to work with a number of um, uh, phenomenally talented American um, uh, performers, uh, Richie Havens, Randy Crawford, whose career took off hugely in the UK after I worked with her, uh, Steve Walsh of Kansas, who um, just had a huge hit with... Um, uh, carry on my way with some. So Kansas worked with Phil Earhart, who was really the band leader, and and Steve Walsh. And that was hugely interesting working with this kind of Anglo-American setup, both American guys and English working together. And so my second album was called Please Don't Touch. And um, um, I know that the guys who worked on that, Chester Thompson, had worked with with Genesis and and and, and did for many years and introduced me to Tom Fowler of the Fowler Brothers. Um, they were hugely interesting because uh, Chester had worked with Frank Zappa. He'd worked with Weather Report. Um, lots of groundbreaking stuff. So I, I loved working with guys who were um, not just gifted, but also had this kind of pan-genre approach. Lots of styles, lots of different kinds of music, which is um, my calling card, really. I've worked in lots of different styles of music, but I think, you know, the calling card and, and perhaps the virtue of progressive stuff is that so many styles are part of 
progressive. So one minute you could do something that was classically inspired, the next you could do something that was jazzy, you could do something that's bluesy, pop, rock, something very, very long, like Supper's Ready, or um, something equally uh, short, like uh, I Know What I Like, which was the first hit that Genesis had. So we weren't just a case of a one-horse trick. Well, and plus I was looking at like just various rankings, reviews of all Genesis albums, and the majority of the top five feature you. It was the years that, that you were there, and that's got to be a feel-good you know, because I mean, there's this band's been around for a very, very, very long time, and to say yes. that the ultimate Genesis albums, and you know, were were you know, headline on the guitar by Steve Hackett. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, um, I I think that instrumental work is as important as um, as what's going on vocally. Uh, many might disagree with me, but you know I think that that bands that have had longevity usually uh, feature both um, and um, yes, Genesis uh, benefited from that i I would say you know the, the golden era of of Genesis for me it stretches really over there 's two albums that come into focus immediately there 's Foxtrot from nineteen seventy two and then its successor, which is selling England by the pound nineteen seventy three which is where you get the comment from uh, uh, John Lennon. Hmm. Um, it, it's, I, I think somehow, you know, those two albums define the breadth of, of Genesis. I mean, Foxtrot has songs on it that are inspired by everything from early music to science fiction, um, social comment, uh, humorous stuff, grotesques, um, it's a whole kind of circus of sound, and I, I love that, and I still use that, that influence today. I, I, I pushed it in that direction um, when I was involved, and I still love to do it now. The idea of songs are the stories and narratives, and again, I think you know that finds its echo or its influence um, with you know the work of, of Jimmy Webb creating those wonderful sort of um, films for the air, the Western as, as embraced in song such as uh, Galveston and MacArthur Park, mm-hmm. um, somehow Wichita Lion Man, songs that are, are, are not just romance, but romance of place as much as romance of, of person. So it seems to me that there's a kind of evolution in song that he personified. And I think that... Um, I know he was very influenced by by English music and the work of Vaughan Williams and composers such as that because he'd grown up playing organ in church with his father as a preacher. Um, and um, uh, I think, you know, that again, with Genesis, you have that, that thing with its almost this kind of contradiction of syncopated church music, if there was such yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, Yes, those first inversion chords, and then you stick in some uh, some tricky dicky time stuff with it, and <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. it becomes something else. We're talking to Steve Hackett. Uh, he's in concert uh, coming to Chicago on Thursday, November 2nd at the Copernicus Center, and it's Genesis Revisited, Foxtrot at 50, and Hackett Highlights, and there's more with Steve next here on 720 WGN. State player on 720 WGN. We're talking to Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Steve Hackett. 
coming to the uh, Copernicus Center on Thursday, November 2nd. You know, you have uh, two remastered versions of your solo albums, To Watch the Storms and 2006 Wild Orchids, being released December 8th on two LP black and colored vinyl uh, records uh, with signed copies, too. I think it's really cool that you're throwing this stuff out on vinyl again. Yes, I think, you know, one tries to uh, address all formats. That's the, the thing with me. I think, um, uh, you know, there are vinyl enthusiasts, uh, vinyl fetishists even. Yeah. And it, it, you know, not, not everybody wants to listen um, on, on, uh, on, on headphones. Right. I mean, I personally love CD. I, I, I know that it's becoming less and less popular, and uh, I'm frustrated that I... I got a new card. It doesn't have a CD player in it. Right, right, right. <laughs> For right. me. Yeah, right. So I'm kind of old school in that way, but then I love full bandwidth, and I, I don't want to hear it reduced. And I do like the idea of um, playing things to people. Otherwise, you know, you've got this thing that's uh, exclusively out, out there. It's it's the joggers who are listening on iPads. And yeah. <laughs> everyone's involved in their own <laughs> private world, their own phones, their own earbuds and, and and all the rest. But, you know, this kind of communal listening, it seems as if it's heading towards... That's only going to happen when people go to shows, it seems to me. You know, the late Eddie Van Halen uh, credited you for his tapping technique. Explain what two-hand tapping is all about, Steve. Uh, well, uh, you can either uh, pick a note with a with a plectrum, and uh, uh, or you can um, hammer on and off. So you're pulling on and off. You're hammering on, say, with the left hand and pulling off, and you're doing a a trill. Well, you can incorporate the right hand as well. So you can incorporate as many fingers as you want with that. Um, but um, it just means it, it, it's a way of being able to play very, very fast and to be able to do huge jumps um, without having to necessarily travel across the strings. It's it's difficult to, to describe, really, but it's it's a way of turning the fretboard of the guitar into something akin to the, the keyboard uh, that might accompany the piano, for instance, where you can do long stretches. And so... It, it enables you to be very speedy and jumpy, and um, and it's it's a technique that's now become you know, part and parcel of every heavy metal player and shredder will be aware of this technique and and will use it. So it's it's um, it's my equivalent of uh, of Dylan's method of singing, shall we say, where you're singing somewhere near the note, but you're below it and above it, and uh, you're, you're sailing over it. So uh, but if I become known for nothing else, it'll probably be the tapping technique. Well, let me ask you this. Like when, when you yeah. hear a guitarist say that you were their influence and y yes. you taught them, what does that mean to you? Um, well, it, it means a lot to me. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes people will hear stuff that I do and they'll say, oh, maestro, but I'm always learning. So I'm forever the pupil. I'm... I'm happy to learn from others. I, I think that every time I saw somebody else doing something on guitar that I couldn't do, I thought, yeah, this is interesting. Every, every other guitarist out there is my teacher. So I'm, I'm observing the whole time and, uh, I'm watching and I'm, and I'm listening. So, um, I've drawn a lot from, from, um, Andres Segovia and, but, 
a lot from from other electric players, and I, I guess that's where the broad-based a- approach pays off because you you don't have to be one thing or or the other. I think it's possible to uh, to love both both ends of of of, of the. Uh, of the guitar, the acoustic guitar, the electric, especially nylon. I, I, I love that because that's kind of the, uh, the guitar is the equivalent of the piano. You've got wide sure. dynamic dynamics. You've got lots of different tones you can use from that. And then there's electric, of course. You know, one power chord on an electric, two notes, one power chord, and uh, it's it's an extraordinary thing. Steve Hackett, Genesis Revisited, Foxtrot at 50, and Hackett Highlights Tour coming to Chicago on Thursday, November 2nd at the Copernicus Center in Chicago. Go to CopernicusCenter.org for tickets. What a great pleasure uh, speaking with you, Steve, and I look forward to seeing you in Chicago, pal. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you, David. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve.